This summer, dare to dream. This summer, explore a world you've never seen. This summer, get lost in a new kind of feeling. This summer, explore that feeling of getting kicked right in your nuts. This summer, stay home. And when you turn on that TV, there's not going to be any sports on. And it won't feel like summer. This summer will not feel like summer. It'll feel hot, but there won't be any delineation from the spring. This summer, discover a feeling you've never felt. This summer. How many movies are going to be made about this pandemic? There'll be some good ones. There'll be some bad ones. This episode. Episode 96 of Here We Go. It's going to be a special one. At least I hope so. My old buddy Peter Lavolsi agreed to join the show and discuss his life in film. A director, a writer, just a great overall person who I was really good buddies with up until fifth grade. And then in fifth grade, when we were about 10 years old, his family up and left. First friend of mine that just moved to Winnecta, Illinois. Winnecta, suburb of Chicago. And it was a bummer. I loved Peter Lavolsi. I remember Peter's dad took us to see Wayne's World in the theater, Friday night showing, the last showing. And we were just like blown away. Like to us, that was the Godfather. Wayne's World? Are you fucking kidding? Our favorite skit has been turned into a full-length feature. And the movie was just like joke after joke after joke. We were just laughing and laughing and laughing like a couple of dorks having the night of our lives. So we love that movie. And I still love that movie. And on the topic of movies, Peter works in that majestic world of movies. He made a real one. Not one where you just film it and edit it and put it on YouTube, but he made a real one with real actors called The House of Tomorrow, which I saw at the San Francisco Film Festival, and I loved it. Starring Ellen Burstyn, Nick Offerman, Maud Apatow. And he adapted it from a book that he read. He wrote the screenplay and put his art out there for everybody to see. So I was thinking, all right, this podcast should promote the people I love. Why not? Rediscover the magic of Peter Lavolsi. So that's the plan for episode 96. If you like movies, this one's for you. If you hate movies, then you're the only person in the world I've ever met who just says, I hate movies. Mm, I like linoleum. I like molecular structures, but not into movies. If that's you... If that's you, this one's not for you, okay? You got to find a new podcast now. If you're like, I really hope this one's about linoleum and molecules, it's not. This one's about Peter and Peter's life in film. And it's about some other things too, like our love for the Will Clark signature. It's the best autograph. The W on the Will Clark signature, if you even know what I'm talking about, it's a good autograph. And I remember Peter's family went to spring training. Back when spring training was like an accessible experience for a family to get close to the players. Now it's just corporate America. Is that what this podcast is? Me just ranting about corporate America. But Peter came back with a ton of autographs and it was big. To discuss baseball autographs, Saturday Night Live, and Wayne's World, that pretty much sums up a good friendship that still exists today. Even though I've only seen him a couple of times since 1991, that friendship still exists today. And without further ado... Here is my buddy Peter Lavolsi. My man. I had to wipe a lot of. Bu- I had to wipe some butts. <laughs> hey, that's part of the gig. 
It is fun to gig. How are you? Look at you with a microphone right there, all ready to go. Even though I'm telling right. you we are recording, what are the topics that are off limits, Peter? I don't think there are any topics off limits. I'm sure I'll find out as we as we go. I don't know. Oh, you mean no, off, nothing off limits? Oh, so we can what, um, bring up ditching Hebrew school. I guess I guess we shouldn't talk about that. I don't <laughs> want. Uh, I don't even remember the teacher's name. How many times do you think we did that before we got caught? I want to say every time because I can't speak we, Hebrew. Yes. That's true. I mean, I don't remember being in class, but I remember treating it like a prison that we had to escape from each and every Tuesday night. It did. Totally felt the way. Did you ever get bar mitzvahed? Yeah, I did at age 13, which proves that we obviously did not stay in touch that well after you moved. No, no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get bar mitzvahed. I probably knew that at some point about you, but then like everything, I just forget life. I don't know. know Has your memory gotten to shit like mine has? Oh, can I not say shit on your podcast? Actually, I want you to swear even more than you would in a normal situation. Okay, good. I'll do that. Good good note. Good note. This is uncensored. Yeah, I got bar mitzvahed. Now I guess the question is, because we're both parents, do we send our kids through that glorious path of Hebrew school, Sunday school, go to the Bema, try to read Hebrew, or do we just say, you know what, hands off, you do you? I don't know. I've, what my wife and I have talked about because she's my wife's Catholic, um, and you know my dad was Catholic, my mom was Jewish, and I was raised Jewish, and I like this. I liked the scene in retrospect, the, the, the Sunday school, temple scene, the high holidays, all of it. I didn't, but I, but I really fell out of it when I got to once I was out of high school and was in college. I was like, wait, why do I need to go to synagogue? All right, cool. But I think it's important to have some sort of spiritual practice i think that's actually really good what about you i mean i do enjoy the traditions of lighting the menorah or having a seder i love passover i mean you just yeah it's like the greatest drinking game fill that red wine glass up fill that red wine glass up yeah and then yeah. search for the matzah so we have some good ones mixed in there i don't know i i'm drawn more and more as i grow up but as a kid like these memories we're discussing i hated it it was like torture to be yeah. told hey leave yeah. the mud football field and come into the Hebrew yeah, school right. halls where I just, I didn't like it at all. That's why we escaped. Yeah, I agree. We did escape. Now, I think what well, we were maybe 10, 11, you were definitely the yeah. first friend I had that just moved. And this is before social media. So when you move, goodbye. It was gone. It was, this guy's going <laughs> to Winnecta. I had to find a yeah. map, Winnecta, Illinois. That's so funny. That's I'll give so you, true. I'll give yeah. you a memory test right now. Do you remember the name of okay. the Dixie Elementary principal? Yes. Um, Mr. Lowasser, Tom Lowasser. That is correct. Do you right? remember what he played with us during lunch? Football with a Nerf Turbo that was pink and black. That is correct. And the memory test ends with this final question. Do you remember what mm-hmm. position you played each and every lunchtime in the early 90s? In my, in my mind, it was probably quarterback. But what, in reality, it was probably like center or right guard, whatever a fat kid should do. I don't, I don't know. What, what, what did I play? All right. Here's the truth. You're two out of three. Yeah. Um, because it was Thomas Lowasser. It was Nerf football. Oh, where they, he, was, he was the all-time quarterback, wasn't he? And you were the all-time what center. I was. All-time center without anybody rushing the quarterback. You would hike it and then just stand oh, there. Oh, my God. That's great. <laughs> so it was <laughs> Alan was Alan was picked on one team. Evan was picked on the other because you couldn't Alan have the fastest guys. Yeah. And then Peter yeah, was the all-time right. center. Oh, my God. I'm so glad that you were bringing this back. So, yeah, Alan and Evan were just machines. Yes. And I remember the one incident that sticks in my mind is when uh, Evan and Kenny Gibbons went up for a ball and Kenny's tooth got 
Yes. My shit felt broke, and part of it broke in Evan's head, and like he was bleeding. And yes. It was crazy, right? They found his tooth in the man's skull, and I want to say, maybe this is the drama that's been created in my mind, that an ambulance had to come <laughs> onto the field. That sounds right. <laughs> they pulled him out on a stretcher. It was a big deal. The whole deal. crowd was silent. Yeah, no. The whole that's, crowd was silent. <laughs> do you think Lo Officer, how, how, is he? do you know uh, how long he stayed there? Yeah, I do know. He, he remained in the district for a really long time and just retired a few years ago. I mean, our local newspaper covers team. education. He was a great principal. Yeah. He was yeah. really good. So since then, since the days of all-time center, Pete, I've seen you a couple mm-hmm. times. But the last time mm-hmm. I saw you was so cool mm-hmm. at the Museum of Modern Art for the San Francisco Film Festival, and they were showing The House of Tomorrow. That was such a special night for me to see you in your element where they show the film, and then afterwards you do a Q&A with the crowd. Right. Um, and afterwards, you know, it was like, this is Peter Lavolsi. I got to introduce you to my wife, and it really felt comfortable again. It didn't feel like all that time had passed. Totally. No, I, I absolutely. I think that's I feel that way, too. And it's funny, like, you know, I had the same feeling with oh, right now. My my son is telling me this is that he's ready to be wiped. That's all good. It's a podcast. He's he's pooped and now he's ready to be wiped. So I'm going to give it a beat to see if my wife. There we go. She's tackling it. So I've been I'm 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 OK. Um, so uh, what was I saying? Um, no, but I remember seeing, you know, seeing you and it is like. You just you could pick up easily the feeling that you have when you're 10, 11, whatever, you know. And I felt that way with um, Evan too, Evan McIsaac too, because I he his mom worked for Delta, and he would fly out to Chicago every other summer to visit because he'd just get a free a free trip and stay with us for a week. Uh, and sometimes I'd go out to Utah because he moved to Utah. After, oh yeah, um, oh yeah. After we moved away. And it's the same thing. Like, I just, I don't know how you are with your guy friends. If you're really good about staying in touch with people, I find that the older I've gotten, the shittier I've gotten at staying in contact. But then you, when you do see those people, it's like no time has passed and it's great. And you're like, Oh, I wish, I wish we lived in the same neighborhood right. because we would be buddies. You know, I get still. overjoyed and, with a good catch up session. I get so overjoyed. It like stimulates me and it actually lasts. It doesn't make me yeah. say, I wish we spoke every week. It makes me say, okay, this right. proves that we could speak infrequently and it still gives me a it's jolt of happiness. Too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I can and tell just, you. Just to find out I was center and I totally forgot. <laughs> <laughs> but, but sort of predicted it. I was like, I think I was probably some sort of lineman type character. Yeah. in a hyper color t-shirt and a giant's cap, a fitted of giant's course. cap. And I also yeah, remember yeah, from those days, we watched, this is my final pearl of nostalgia but we did watch the episode of saturday night live where michael jordan hosted we stayed up late on a sleepover and i Mm -hmm. googled it that was 1991 with musical guest public enemy and that was like that's great fighting your eyelids remember you get so tired it's not like today where you just record anything and everything but but it was a challenge kind of our thing that was kind of our thing when we would do sleepovers from my memory is that you and i in particular had an affection for snl that i don't think other friends of mine had that i had with and i don't think that was a thing that like i feel like that was a thing that you and i shared, like a, a loving that or or maybe that's just my memory but that, that did you do you recall that i recall that and will clark's signature those two things we yeah. just love the w things and i also know you you i the other thing i remember about you this is going to be boring for your podcast so you cut it all <laughs> off but i think it's like good that i remember you really knew how to draw bart simpson well like you could do that really well you know what's sad? I still can and I still do for my daughter. 
And it's not just uh-huh. Bart, it's Marge, it's Lisa, it's Homer, it's Mo. Uh-huh. And I still watch SNL every single Saturday. Yeah. And great. Yeah, I mean, something's never changed. And I guess if I had a Will Clark autograph, if I could find one, I'd frame it and put it on display. So nothing has changed. Totally. Except now we have kids that scream. Yeah, I'm hearing this right now. Hold on a second. It's actually good. It gives the podcast a raw sound. I'll hold on a sec. I'm going to pause. I'm going to mute you for a second. Okay. (laughs) This is what happens when you have three. I have three children. So it's. um, There's always some sound in the background here. What are the ages? Sound five, three, and uh, almost a year. Both she's like nine months. So. The fact that you had time for this podcast, or actually didn't have time, but shoved it into your day. No, clearly, clearly, this was the time when I should be wiping butts and doing <laughs> screaming kids. But that's all right. It makes me really um, grateful. So obviously, when you start to promote this film that you were making. The House of Tomorrow on Facebook, and I was taking a look at the film festivals coming to San Francisco. I thought this was the perfect time to go see Peter, but I didn't you know, have any expectations. I didn't know I would really like the movie. I didn't know if I'd be sure. indifferent, but I loved it. It was such a cool story, oh, Thanks. and it was adapted from a book. Did you know the author of that book? I met the author, um, but the, the author was uh, friends with uh, a good friend of mine from film school who was also a producer on the film. They went to college together, so that's how we connected. He sent me, my friend sent me the book, said, my buddy wrote this, you should check it out, I think it would be a cool movie. And I was like, uh, yeah, let's let's work on this and see where it goes. And five years later, we were at the Museum of Modern Art in San Francisco, you know, taking it out in theaters. So you weren't just leisure reading, you were kind of reading it and thinking how would this turn into a screenplay? It was like a strategic yes. reading? Well, yeah, but the first read of it is je- definitely just to like, at least for me, wasn't to kind of be like, how do I make this a new movie, but just to see how I felt, how I reacted to the story. Because what's kind of neat about reading something for the first time is you get to, that you're going to write into a script, is you get this kind of perspective that you never really get again which is just to see what you emotionally respond to because everything is a surprise. You're not looking at the inner workings of how it's constructed and how it's manipulating you or how it's working. You're just, you're just an audience, which is what ultimately you're trying to do is to make something to connect with an audience. And so reading that book the first time I just, just sat down and read it. And whenever something like jumped out at me, whatever it was that was interesting or, touched me i just wrote made a note in the book i didn't know how it would all fit some of it ended up in the the movie some of it didn't um but that's what that first read was like was really just as an audience member were you satisfied with that final product like i realize this is just a podcast but i tend to listen back and i go ah i wish i said this or i should have brought up this point are you hard on yourself or could you take a step back and say you know what that was the best i could have done with my first major motion picture no i think um Definitely, there are things in it that I would would have liked to have done differently on every every step of the way. Um, but at the same time, you have to kind of put it down and move on to the next the next thing. But I think every, every filmmaker, like you said, the, the podcast or any sort of creative endeavor, I think you're gonna have that. I don't think I, I, I'm suspicious of somebody who's like it's perfect, it's great. You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't see that as being possible and i wouldn't know what to do then i wouldn't have it if i if i really like hit it out of the park and felt like i had nothing to improve on with the next film i don't know where i would be i think i'd be pretty lost yeah. you know i, I sure. like the, i like the fact that the thing i'm working on now is 
so much better for the fact that I went and made a movie and learned and made mistakes. And I think writing a movie is one thing, but then actually filming it, editing it, and putting it out in the world and experiencing all that teaches you a, a ton. Yeah. Um, so it's really valuable. Yeah. Well, th- there's these artistic goals like, will I like it? Will my family, friends like it? Will I be proud of it? And then there's the other things like reviews, professional reviewers, and revenue. Mm-hmm. Do you become hyper aware of the reviews and the revenue it's generating, or do you try to take a step away from that? Um, I did read reviews when they came out, and then it was, so, and I found it to be like sort of not really that helpful. We got some great reviews, we got some mixed reviews, and we got some not good reviews, and so it was like a mix of emotion. That's a real roller coaster to put yourself on when you've just like given so much of your love and energy and time, and your family sacrificed a lot to to go go do this, go on this adventure with you. So um, while it's nice to get a pat on the back sometimes from a review or satisfying, it's equally not nice to hear something negative. So I'm, I, I don't know how I'll respond to it the next time around. I think, I don't know. It's a good question. If I don't know if I put real value or take, I don't think I really put stock in it. The reviewers I love to read are the ones that I think whether they like the movie or not, they, you can tell they've thought about it mm-hmm. um, considerably. They're not just reacting either as a super fan of being like, it was awesome or as, a, or as like a super snark person, you know, they're just kind of really thinking of it as a story and uh, what, what, what's going on and how it's constructed and everything. And um, one of my favorite reviewers, I don't really agree half the time with his reviews, but I love reading every review of his because they're so they're, they're thoughtful essays on filmmaking Who is you know, at the end of the day. Who is this person? Uh, uh, it's Richard Brody, the New Yorker. Uh-huh. He's, he's, he's kind of like his taste is it he'll really champion stuff that I'm like, Oh, that was, that just didn't entertain me or whatever, but and he'll poo poo stuff that I was like, Oh, I like that. That was fun. You know, and sometimes we line up and I'm like, yeah, he totally gets it. And he, he's so good at articulating why something works or why, you know, or what's in the DNA or the, 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 the core of the movie and what it's really doing in a way that I don't think I would even be able to articulate. And it's just really satisfying to read, to read. I, I go back and read old reviews of his. I'll read stuff that he's, done on movies i've never seen or movies i've seen and i I tend to not really read reviews of any movies until after i've seen them same i I don't don't even watch trailers and i don't read reviews i'm with you on that yeah that's good i think i love trailers as a like uh an art form i think there's some amazing trailers that have been cut but it but i also don't love how they can how the you know uh, yeah i feel like a lot of movie marketing they they feel like they have to tell you the whole movie and I, i love going into movies totally cold and not knowing at, at all what what uh what i'm in for it's so much more enjoyable same i even have gone in so cold where i didn't know what i was going to like i went to the box office and they said that's sold out and i just had to pick one randomly and that's yeah, an experience that's where i go i don't know if i'm watching a comedy or a horror oh, i just said i'll so see memento and i go what is yeah. Me-? you know and that's how i saw yeah. memento actually not knowing what it was yeah. but yeah oh, the experience great. of going in cold and i actually went in cold to the House of Tomorrow. I didn't know anything right. about Buckminster Fuller. Oh, cool. I right. just saw the cast and I go, holy shit, Ellen Burstyn, Nick cool. Offerman, these are big oh, names. Great. And let me ask yes. you though, when you're adapting a book to a screenplay, you have a vision for what the action's going to look like, what the conversation's going to look like. How involved are you with the casting to make sure it's the right actors that are going to play out your script? Uh, 
I mean, the, at the end of the day, every decision lies with the director. You know, I, I, I guess on bigger studio, this is a little independent movie, so it's maybe different um, because on I would guess on big Marvel movies, I don't think like a director necessarily gets to say who's in that movie or get the final say. They might get an opinion. I don't really know how it works there, but for me, yeah, I, um, everyone in that cast was someone that I ultimately was the one who picked and you have people to help you do that. You, you, you talk to your team to get there. You bounce things off your producers about what I think I like so-and-so for this. What do you think? And then they tell you, you know, and it sometimes helps you express what it is that you is just right now a gut feeling and you, you, you're forced to articulate why you think, you know, uh, Nick would be great or Maude Apatow or any of these people, you know, um, everyone I loved. And I went in knowing that I think with casting, you know, if you don't do it right, if you don't pick it right, you're kind of screwed, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and not, you know, not just for the movie, but for that actor, um, it puts a, it puts them in a tough place because they're maybe trying to do something that isn't the right fit for them. Um, even if they're really great, you know, and with this movie, uh, everyone, everything kind of fell into place. That was, we had, we had so many, speed bumps and hurdles and challenges like any movie. And that was one of the things that actually fell into place really beautifully. I, I felt like with, with getting all those different pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, is it Asa actors. or Asa Butterfield? A- Asa. Asa. Cause Asa I saw the boy in the striped pajamas and then I hadn't uh-huh. seen him yeah. until your movie and I didn't recognize him. I just, you know, the mm-hmm. feeling of that guy looks familiar the whole movie Yeah, yeah. and his yeah, performance was dynamite. And then you sit there and you sit through, you know, 10 minutes of credits, name after name, scrolling, name after name, every mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. And you're saying it's really under the quarterback or all-time center of the director. Like, there's a lot of names, but they're all truly under the direction of the director, the man in charge. So I didn't realize sort, that. Sort of, sort of, indirectly, because it's like, it's a, in, a, in a way, it's like your, your, your big job is to hire the right people, but you don't hire every person. You hire the keys to give them the responsibility to hire the people beneath them. And then they hire the people. So it's like, it is about uh, also trusting people to do their jobs and to pick, pick well and pick the right, you're kind of hosting a party, you know what I mean? And so you're like, you're saying like, I'm going to invite these friends and they're going to bring friends. And I want to make sure that mm. we all kind of get on well together. And, uh, you know, on our movie, I think we had a, we had a pretty good party. We also had some, you know, some, some people at the party that maybe uh, I wouldn't invite back to the party. But none none of those people were uh, kind of everyone's just trying to do their best. Everyone's trying to make a make a movie, and it's a crazy thing to do. And especially on that thing, it was like we shot that movie in eighteen days and you know six day weeks where you just you you have a day off it's not really a day off because you're prepping to catch up for the next day it's, it's you know for not a lot of money so i mean anyone who does what's cool about that when you're at that budget is that people are doing it because they're excited about going to make that movie it's not just like a job you know which is it's fun it's fun that came across wow 18 days in minnesota that does sound quick to wrap it up mm-hmm. and you say you know who you would invite to the party literally there was a great party scene you know, towards the end, that punk oh, yeah. rock scene. Are uh-huh. you a fan of punk? Not really. I mean, I, 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 when I got into the book, and my wife is, my wife totally went to those parties when she was a kid, and um, Peter Bagnani, the author, did. And, you know, 
everyone has like a, a certain connection with certain bands and that were in the film. I was just kind of coming at it from the story, the friendship of the two boys and that feeling of like, they both had these overprotective parental figures in their life. And that was something I really connected with. Um, and, and being a parent now, not just seeing it from like the kid's point of view, but also understanding why a parent might be, you know, extra cautious about their kid who has a medical thing or, scared about their kid going out in the world you know so it was a that to me was what was compelling about the story yeah and the music was the um the way to express it part of one of the ways to express it and to express their anger and frustration for like not being able to just do their own thing um but i it, during the process i came to really appreciate the music and uh learn a ton about it but then it's also about that's part of what it is about um when you direct a movie is like SNL, which we both love. Lauren Michaels has a thing about, he's like, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I know I'm in the wrong room. And I think about that when I, when I make a movie, it's like, if I'm just hiring people who are, who I feel like I can control or outsmart or something like that, I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to get the best, the best product out of that. So my goal is to like, bring people on in roles who fill make fill in my gaps or who might uh, challenge me in a way to that's going to make the thing better so like my my cinematographer who i work with a lot on commercials and stuff like he played in those bands in high school he was in punk bands my producer was in punk bands like production designer wasn't so all these people who could be, we were like you know what should jared's bedroom look like and i could just be like well i know my version of that was movie posters and baseball posters so yeah. i knew the kind of like that it had to be plastered. I knew that it was, I knew, I knew the, 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 some sense of vibe, but Jared's into a whole different thing at that age. And I am, but Rob, my production designer, like had that bedroom in Long Island when he was in high school. So he was like, I got this. I'm like, you do it. And it, I walked in there. I was like, this is fucking amazing. And we shot, I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I changed a thing. You know, it was great. What so a great quality about, though. You know how to delegate. What's that? You know how to play to their strengths. And I think, the opposite. If you were on a power trip and just said, it's my way, this is how it has to look, I highly doubt anybody would want to work with you. So the fact that you're saying, no. I know how to take a step back and delegate responsibilities to the people that know more than me, it's I think the same thing, it makes you a pleasure to work with. the same thing with. with the actors. It's the same thing with the actors. It's like, you, if you cast it well and they can do their thing, you, you're just there to kind of keep it on track, guide them when they when they need it. But I can't like create the performance it has to be something that is they they can deliver and then i'm just there to shape it and help it along and make sure i get the beats i need for the story you know um which is why casting is so important but casting really has to do with every every hire you you make it's you're casting every role on that crew yeah even though this was peter borgnani's book and you turned it into a movie that had heart it did have a lot of heart uh, what about your own original writing? Do you find yourself constantly applying life's real situations to your script writing? Like even this morning, breakfast with a family of five, are there moments mm-hmm. where you're like, oh shit, I got to get a pen. Like this is something I got to capture. Mm-hmm. Is that how you're living your mm-hmm. life where this would look good I think in a it's script? It's hard to do. I think, I think I probably do unconsciously, um, but more in like the themes that of the things that I'm working on than in like, okay, this is a story about a family of five and they've just moved to into a new house that's falling apart <laughs> and, you know, whatever. And they're living through a pandemic. I don't think I would do that. Um, I, that's not my thing. I'm not like a confessional kind of writer, but it, I think everything I do is incredibly personal, just probably through 
telling a story about someone else in a situation that isn't my own. And that actually helps me open up more probably because it's, it gets to be hidden in someone else's narrative, you know? So like the thing I'm writing now, uh, uh, is a, is a heist movie. And it's like, I'm not doing any heists, but there's a, there's a personal side to that story that I really relate to that I think is ultimately the heart of that movie and why it's going to work or not work, you know, and the heist is just the, the punk music of that movie. You know, that's just the, the color. Can you remember what triggered the idea for a heist? Like, was it one moment where you said heist and the light bulb went off? We, we had, we had a, we had, for this movie, we had like a, a world in mind for it that, um, we've been talking about for a while and actually had written another script with this. That was a very different story. And then, and then picking the project back up a couple of years after later, cause I'd actually started this project before the house tomorrow and then put it down to work on the house tomorrow and picking it back up with perspective. I was like, there's an interesting world here. There's some characters that are really full of life, but they don't really have a story to kind of hang it all on. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't remember specifically what sparked heist, but I love heist movies. I think they're like, they are kind of what it's like to make a movie. You know, it's like you get the team together, you make the plan, (laughs) you execute, the plan goes wrong. You got to figure out a trick way to get, you know, it's all. So it's something that I think I enjoy. Um, And then we started talking about it more and I think it just sort of fit the characters and the world that we were exploring. So we'll see i mean we just finished our second draft of it right now so i don't even know well uh, when i when i start sharing with people i'll I'll find out if it's actually you know worthwhile or not because i'm too close to it to know that you heard it here first hollywood director peter lavolsi in the movie heist in theaters this friday it's supposed to be (laughs) terrific peter we appreciate it (laughs) one of those interviews where you know the host isn't listening to a damn thing it's called heist it sounds terrific it's going to be a blockbuster hit peter thank you so much actually in all honesty peter you do get big names even in the little shorts you made duncan removed had ken marino who i love and then you had Mm -hmm. leonard in slow motion which i told you i showed my journalism students because i was teaching Mm. them the art of being a critic, oh, yeah, right. had a review. So I had 30 kids watching uh-huh. Leonard in Slow Motion starring Martin Starr. My wife and I love uh-huh. him. It's like everything he's in. He's great. My wife watched Freaks and Geeks. I didn't. I had to rewatch oh, it, yeah. you know, recently. Oh, yeah. And uh, like a show called Party Down. He's a caterer. He shows up in yeah, so yeah, many yeah. things. And I'm like, this dude mm-hmm. is always good. Guilfoyle in Silicon Valley. How did you connect yeah. with him? What's the story of Lavolsi and Starr? Um, he was, I think I had, seen him at a party of mutual friends once so i knew there was like a, a connection to him um and so i asked a friend um who uh, a friend of mine who knows him uh this this uh, an actor named joe latruglio who's on uh, he's on brooklyn 99 and he, he was in the state and a bunch of stuff and he's he's great and i love him and his wife beth dover who's also really funny and she's been in a bunch of amazing things he was, he was just on orange is the new black for like four or five seasons recently and um they are friends with martin so i just said to jo- i said to joe i think i said can you just send him this and see if he would do it i basically he was like my one person in mind that i thought would be great for it and i feel like it was like immediate like he sent it to him he's like yeah sure i'll send it to him and How he cool. sent it to him and two days later martin's into it and then we talked, and then we figured out a date that worked, and we sh- and we shot it. Yeah, 
it was very, very lucky. I loved Leonard in slow motion. Actually, the kids did too. A lot of positive reviews. I should share some oh, with you. Oh yeah. Oh good. Please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't um, know if that would work no. for a full length, but beautiful plot. For no, a Martin and I talked about it a little bit. We we had like dinner together. I'm like, could that work? And there'd be like a really slow motion <laughs> tantric sex scene going on <laughs> or something. I'm like, what what would happen? And like for the patient it, but, viewer, but yeah, uh, but but it just I think I think it's good as a short. And I also like the idea of just. I told feel like we told that story and move on to another another thing, you know. Of course, Peter. I feel like sometimes we would just get into discussing the movies without realizing you've made a movie. Like I feel like that's a dream of a lot of young people, and then it mm-hmm. becomes you know a far fetched fantasy, and then at some point they take another path in life and go. I always right. wish I was able to write a movie. Did it feel, mm-hmm. when you actually started to enter this career path and you said, oh, it's working, like I am making movies, did it ever mm-hmm. feel miraculous or did you just put in enough work where it felt like normal? Like, of course I make movies. No, it didn't feel normal. Um, it felt, it's interesting. I, I feel like it was, uh, a lot, I had a, there were a lot of feelings. I feel like I put a lot of hope into it that, um, you know, I don't think it's necessarily good to put all this, all your all your kind of expectations on something you know um but i think i appreciated it completely like it was one of the hardest filming endeavors i've ever had easily the hardest i mean i was i when we wrapped our shoot we, we shot until the sun came up um that, that party scene that, that you're talking about that was the last night of shooting we were doing it all night and the, there was a scene with some cops at the outside the dome and the getting uh, kids getting arrested and stuff and um nick offerman had to catch a plane early in the morning to go do this like fitness thing or something with michelle obama and um there was this pressure to like finish this because he's got to get out the sun is coming up he'd like to go meet the, the the first lady and i'm you know i'm making him work all night so he's getting wrecked working and then he's got to go say hi to her and um i felt an immense pressure on that and then just in a buildup of the whole experience of that movie that when when we left the packed our bags and like left the hotel that morning to drive back to our house because we were shooting out in the middle of you know of the in the boonies outside of outside of the city i just like my my wife is driving and i just started crying because i was just like oh my god it was just like a it was just like a release so i think um it was the whole experience was um I was gr- grateful that I was doing it. I was thrilled to be doing it, excited. At the same time, it also felt very much like this is what I should be doing because I had had at that point a lot of time on set, whether it's making shorts or commercials or student films or whatever, um, that I felt ready to do it. And um, But I never feel deserving of it. I never feel like, not that I don't feel deserving of it, but I don't, I don't, I don't ever want to take it for it. I appreciate any time... I can step behind the camera. Like we just did um, a little Caesars pizza commercial thing before all this um, COVID stuff happened. And I think we were one of the last shoots to, to be happening. And that's like, I, I really tried to, I came back from the movie to go back to that work, to commercials. And I was like, I, I want to just like enjoy this in a different way and just appreciate the fact that I get to do this and not take it for granted, you know? So that's a, that's, that's what I try to do with that movie, and I would like to do it again soon, though. Yeah. I'm impressed. I'm really proud of you. 
I felt like a Jewish mom when you were on stage at that film festival. Like, there's my Peter. <laughs> there's Peter. A lot of people are intrigued. All fun center. It was cool. Oh. And you were so oh, nonchalant. So you, yeah, I'm a cool character, right? Someone was like, raise their hand. What, what inspired you? And you're like, what do you care? Lit up a cigarette. <laughs> yeah, I was exactly. like, this dude's exactly. changed. Yeah. This dude's yeah, high exactly. maintenance. And your handler, uh, Thurgood, was really sweet. Oh, Thurgood, yes. 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 He's no longer with me. I laid him <laughs> off, but yeah. Your yeah. driver, um, who you yelled at yeah. publicly, he seemed like a oh, decent also fella. Him off. Also nope, laid him replaced. off. Yeah. Full staff, I've really let go and just found new people. I get it. Um, I get it. Keep it fresh. Yeah. So are we yeah, going to make a movie about all-time center or ditching Hebrew school? That's really what this is all about. This is me getting you know, getting a meeting right. with you. I did, I did write a script about uh, ditching Hebrew school once. Like, not a feature script, a short script. I'll have to dig it up and send it to you. Like, years ago. Because it was, it was, that was a heist movie in a way. I mean, we were, like, you know, sneaking out, finding a way to get into secret doors to get into the <laughs> billiards room. And yes, exactly. Get, how to... How to how to get a coke from the soda machine without being seen? All that stuff is like <laughs> exactly. You, know. you loved yeah, Coca Cola Classic with your billiards. It, it turned into a great time every every day. Parents would pick us up. How was it? Fantastic. Fantastic. Hebrew school was great. School. Yeah, we had. It was our like like Jewish teen cheers in the in the pool. <laughs> oh, that's a full length. Um, I'm sorry, that's no short. Yeah, that's a yeah, full length. No, that's not short. All right, Peter. Um, I know you're a busy man. How are your folks? How's the whole fam? They're good. Everyone's good. How, how about you? How's everything on your end? Good. We're all spread out. Mom's still in the same house. Dad in Arizona, sister in Colorado. We're here in Terra Linda. Do you remember that town? Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, totally. TL. TL, baby. So let's uh, let's meet up at the premiere of Heist, which is in theaters this Friday. Yeah. It's great yeah. catching up with Pete Lavolsi. I give you a nickname. All right. I'm going to do it. Big Top Pete, we um, call him. You're like, no one calls me <laughs> Big no Top Pete. <laughs> <laughs> All that right. was fun, dude. This was great. I appreciate yeah. you, my brother. You too. I'm glad it was a good excuse to catch up, man. I know. I hope it didn't seem opportunistic. Like, oh, he only wants to catch up for his six listeners. No, no. no. I, hey, look, if this is if a podcast is what it takes, I'm all in. Okay, come, sweet. Come, when this is over, let's come to LA. Let's hang. No doubt. I'm in. All right, there's Peter. Hope you enjoyed it. Leave a rating on iTunes. If you like, make sure to watch his movie, The House of Tomorrow, available on many platforms, I assume. Just Google it, right? Pay the $4.99. You'll find it somewhere. It's streaming. And then if he gets some clicks, if he gets some downloads right now, let's credit this old podcast. This old bastard. All right, folks, have yourselves a very merry weekend ahead. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>